The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. My kids, I, I learn a lot in life by having kids, and when you, when you have kids, you, you kind of get to remember some things when you were younger. Uh, like my kids lately have been asking me about how they're going to make some money uh, because they're realizing they want to save up for a car or something like that. And it kind of brought me back to how at a very early age, uh, we start thinking about provisions in our life. We start thinking about things that we need. We start uh, from the youngest age, like how are you going to get that toy or how are you going to get uh, that candy bar that you want or how are you going to get uh, the game you want, whatever it is, something you want at a young age, you start thinking, how am I going to going to get that. And uh, in our family, when uh, I was raised in New York City, and the way it worked for us, it wasn't just an allowance. No one just got an allowance. You had to do something to earn money. And uh, in my family, um, the way it worked is I'd clean the bathrooms for 25 cents a piece. I know, it sounds like there's child labor laws against that, isn't there? Uh, but 25 cents a piece to clean the bathrooms. And I got 10 cents a piece to shine my father's shoes. Back then, you know, he had a bunch of different shoes. those kind of black and brown Oxford shoes. And I'd shine about 10 cents a piece. And I'd get money for my provisions. Because at a young age, you're always looking ahead where you're getting your candy bar money or where you're going to get your money for what you're going to do. And, and that's what I would do. I would do that. And then later on, um, my father had these uh, apartments. And when somebody would move out, um, you know, they'd have to get fixed up. And so I would go in there with my brother and we would stucco and paint uh, and we would get, I don't know, probably a dollar an hour back in the day, something like that. Um, and then uh, my father would come by and take us to lunch, and we'd go to an Italian deli. And New York has the best Italian delis. And we would get these big old sandwiches that were bigger than us. And we looked forward to this. We really didn't look forward to working. We looked forward to lunch. And when you're a little kid, this is the provision you're looking for. And we get these big old sandwiches. And then I, I realized at the end of the day when we get paid, my father would pay us per hour, but he would back out the lunch money part of it. And I learned my first lesson at a young age. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Has anybody learned that lesson? No. no. So you're learning about provision and then you learn there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, a little bit later, we had saved up some money, me and some, uh, some of my friends in New York, and we figured, why don't we do something crazy? We got up super early in the morning, like 5.30, 6 a.m. We saved up the change that we had. We figured out what it would take to get from where we lived on Staten Island into Manhattan uh, on an early Saturday morning. So we literally got on the train and got on the ferry and we get over to, to Manhattan and nobody's there because it's a, a weekend. And, and I remember uh, we, the guy was selling the, you know, the water dogs, the hot dogs on the side of the street. And so we had literally just enough change to get back and buy like a hot dog and a soda. This was like our highlight, right, of the weekend. We're little kids. We're like eight or 10. We should not have been in Manhattan at 10 years old, right? But we're there and I remember we bought a, a hot dog and a Coke and as soon as I bought this hot dog and a Coke, and these guys came up and they said, hey, little brother, come here, man. Why don't you give me a bite of your hot dog? <laughs> Handed me back a little piece. <laughs> Handed me back my empty soda. And then I realized there is a such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm learning as a kid, what is provision? What does it take to get money? What does it take to save up? What does it take to, to get something you want as a young kid? And as we get older... We realize the same thing. What does it take to get a job, to get an apartment? What does it take to get a car? What does it take to get whatever it is that you're aiming at, whatever you're going after, whatever you sense you're supposed to pursue, you're going after it. And then as you grow up, maybe you begin to realize 
that God's word is true and Jesus is real and you start reading the book and you start learning about provision. And in this book, you realize that God, one of his very definitions of his name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Has anybody read that? The Lord God who provides? And then you're reading this book and you're like, well, you've been working hard trying to provide and yet you realize God provides and you realize even in the desert with Israel when they could not provide, God provided for them. And we see these stories over and over again of God's faithful people walking with God and as they're walking with God, God providing for them. And it's pretty remarkable and, and you just, they come up throughout the Bible. And so there's a tension in there where you gotta kind of figure out How's this thing going to work? Am I going to handle all my own provisions or am I going to work with God who is the God of all provision? Do you guys believe he's the God of all provision? So if you do, you got to come to this, this tension you have to determine in your life. How am I going to pursue a provision and, and what's needed in life? Basic things that I need and things I'm aiming for and hoping for. How do I approach uh, provision? And so the Bible offers us this passage today. It's in Matthew 14, if you want to turn there. And we're teaching through the book of Matthew. And I got to tell you what's absolutely epic about this passage right here. Think about this for a second. Out of all the miracles in the Bible, and you think of all the miracles Jesus did, hundreds and hundreds of miracles in the Bible that Jesus did, there is only one miracle that everyone's aware of listed in all four of the Gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke, and it's in John. The one miracle that we're all aware of that's in all four Gospels is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's monumental, isn't it? That's epic. However, all the other miracles you read about that Jesus did, and he did tons of them. It might be listed only once in Matthew, a separate different miracle in Mark, a different one in Luke, a different one in John. Sometimes, sometimes you have the same miracle in two of the gospels, same story, same guy that got healed or delivered or free or could see. Sometimes you have it in two. Very rarely, very rarely do you have it in three of the four Gospels. Does that make sense? Except for the resurrection, right? You guys follow me? Except for the resurrection of Jesus, these other miracles don't typically show up even in all three. There's only one other miracle besides the resurrection of Jesus Christ that shows up in all four Gospels. And not only does it show up in all four Gospels, we're going to be looking at it today, not only does it show up in all four Gospels, a similar story is repeated two more times of this same principle that God is doing here. So instead of it a single miracle here, a single miracle here, we're going to look at a, a premise that God presents to us. We're going to look at some spiritual laws. We're going to look at the provision of God. And it pops up in the Bible six times. And other than the resurrection, we just don't see that. We see a miracle here. This guy's delivered. This, one's, this woman is healed. And this person is freed from blindness. And again, it's random stories. Sometimes they're doubled up. Very rarely are they th three times in all four Gospels. But never, except for the resurrection, do we see, at least according to my read, a story in every single Gospel, and it's even repeated. We're looking at Jesus feeding the 5,000. And we also know that Jesus fed the 4,000. And when he did this, in Matthew and Mark, he feeds the 4,000. In all four Gospels, he feeds the 5,000. We're thinking, what is the deal with God providing for all these people? Why, why is God intending it to show up again and again and again and again and again and again? Why? When none of the other miracles show up this way. 
I think it's because God wants to get your attention and my attention. I think it's because God wants to show us how his economy works. I, I think God wants us to not live in anxiety over the stuff that we need, the stuff that we feel we need, the provisions in life, the materials, the resources, the things that we feel we need. Jesus says that worry, worry robs us of the very seed that God's trying to plant in our life. Have you ever realized that? Worry, worry robs us of the things that God wants to do in our life. The very seeds that God wants to grow in our life. The Bible gave an example of the seeds and what God wants to plant in our life and the fruition that wants to come out of our life that God wants to do. And worry is one of the things that chokes the very life. And I believe God sees that we worry and sees that we're concerned and sees that we have all kinds of pursuits as people, whether we're out of the church or in the church, we still have pursuits And God looks at us and our pursuits and has a whole different understanding. He says, I I love you so much. I'm going to show you this principle. It's that important. The principles of my provision. The principles of how it works in my realm, in my economy. The the way it works when you get to know Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God who provides, Jesus is going to show us. And again, this miracle comes up again, 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 and again, and nothing else does. Does it sound like God's trying to get our attention? I would say, yeah, and this one is noteworthy. So I want to encourage you as we go through this today, Matthew 14, uh, we're looking at verses 13 through 21. We're looking at how God provides. And uh, I would encourage you this morning to to write some notes because I think if God puts this in scripture six times in the gospel, four times the feeding of the 5,000 and two times the feeding of the 4,000, which is virtually a parallel story in the whole process of how God encounters and engages us with his provision, I think God's trying to get, us, get our attention. And I think for us to dive in today and not have some take-home stuff, whether you put it in your phone or take notes in your bulletin, I would highly encourage you uh, to do that. And so um, let's jump in, if we could, Matthew 14. Uh, we're going to look at verse, um, beginning in verse 13, and we're going to look at this in sections. Um, it starts this way. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away you give them something to eat. Now, that's a pretty tall order, and we're going to see where this unfolds. We have a monumental need that is beyond anything we could even understand, and Jesus has a solution for it. And I think that's God's heart and God's idea and God's economy. I believe this is the way God works and operates, but he wants us to know how we operate with him in these solutions. I really do. I believe that's why it comes up again and again and again. So the setup here is this. Jesus is tired. He's been ministering all over the Galilean hillside, nonstop ministering, nonstop. And, and he gets away to a, a quiet place. He's also mourning the loss of John the Baptist. We just saw when we looked at this a couple of weeks ago that John the Baptist was, was, uh, was killed. And so he was like the first martyr, essentially, in the, in the first, uh, early church. He was uh, uh, martyred and close to Jesus' heart, and Jesus is brokenhearted. So Jesus gets away and they retreat, and they get away to a solitary place uh, to pray. And I would just say one thing, and this is a word for some of you this morning. Jesus, he withdrew. He withdrew. Everybody say withdrew. 
you got to withdraw sometimes, guys. We live in this city, pace is fast, everything is go, go, go. Everything is find a way to do it quicker, find either technology, a way, a system to get more done, uh, grab a latte on the way and just kind of keep going. I mean, this is what, this is just the tempo of our city, the tempo of our life. Um, I would encourage you, Jesus withdrew. And I would encourage you, you and I need to withdraw as well. Uh, there are times the best solution in your life is to withdraw. The best solution is to withdraw to a solitary place and get alone with God. And maybe right now, whatever you're going through or whatever you're praying for, maybe that's your answer for someone this morning to just withdraw and get alone with God. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a whole lot going on. The church had just moved. We'd done so many things and uh, been a lot going on. And I was given an opportunity to go out to the Oaks, a Christian camp um, up by Lake Casitas, and just go out there and pray for a couple of days. So I went up there and just brought my guitar and my Bible and just hung out with God and went on hikes and went on some runs and just did some worship. And I just camped. I got away to a solitary place and I withdrew. And it was one of the most life-giving things I've done in a long time. I want to encourage you guys, some of you this morning, you need to withdraw. That's your word for today. That's what you need to do. That is your answer, is to get alone and be with Jesus. And that's where your solution is going to come from. That's what Jesus did, necessary for him, necessary for us. Um, and the reason he did this, because he didn't want interruption. He got away to a solitary place to have no interruption to see God. But the crowds followed him. And it wasn't just a small crowd. It was thousands, thousands of people follow Jesus because he has the words for life. He's, he's a miracle worker. He's the teacher. He's the Jewish Messiah. And everyone's like, this is epic. This is monumental. We got to keep following him. And they're bringing everyone sick that they know to Jesus. And they're following Jesus with a thousands of people. And Jesus has compassion on them. And he continues to minister them. Even though he's been doing it all over Galilee and try to get away to a quiet place, since the thousands come, he looks with compassion and he continues to heal them and heal them. And he's doing this all afternoon and it's getting very late. And now there's a very practical problem. Um, see, sometimes with God, we want him to do some profound supernatural things. And that's good. God does supernatural things. He's a supernatural God. But sometimes we just have a very practical problem. We're hungry. We're out of food. Basic things. You need a car. Your car's broke. You lost your job. The rent's due. Very practical problems. And we see that God sees, and I believe he has compassion, and God steps into these problems. But, but I want you to look this morning a little bit differently. I want you to look at God's part and the disciples' part. Look at God's part and the crowd's part. Look at the two sides of the coin rather than, God, I need, just do it. Normally, we say, God, I need, please do it. That's the typical prayer. God, I need help. Bring me money. Bring me this. Give me a car. Whatever it is. And, and that's fine. That's wonderful to ask. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. You got to ask for things. And, and that's fine. That's not selfish. That's not greedy. However, today, this passage that comes up six times in Scripture is trying to show us a powerful reality when it comes to how the God of provision, the God of multiplication, encounters you and I with a very practical problem. The practical problem right now is we are hungry, it is late, and there's thousands of us. And the disciples have a solution. <laughs> Theirs is brilliant. Uh, their, their solution is awesome. What should we do? Their solution? <laughs> send them away. That's easy, isn't it? It's always easy to just send people away. Jesus is like, no, it's not about sending people away. Jesus turns around and says, you feed them. Now, if you were standing there 
and you said this to Jesus, let's just send them away. And Jesus turned to you and said, now you feed them. We'd be like, talking to me, you're talking to Peter. You're talking to Peter, right? You're not talking to me. There's no way you want Peter. You want Peter to do it? Who are you talking to, Jesus? You definitely don't want me to feed these thousands of people. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you, you feed them. And here we have this powerful reality of Jesus calling disciples. Disciples are not just the apostles. Disciple is everyone who calls Jesus their Lord is a follower and learner of Jesus. Everyone who is a follower and learner of Jesus is a disciple of Jesus. He calls the disciples into the problem. It's pretty enormous. It's a big problem. But he calls the disciples into the problem. He says, um, you feed them. And God always has these teachable moments in our problem. He's, already got, he's always got a solution in our crisis. He's always doing something. We just got to find out what it is. And the other gospels, when you read the other gospels, the other gospels accounts of this same miracle, there's a little dialogue back and forth and, and the, the, the apostles say, well, we don't have enough. What's the point? We just don't have enough. And Jesus asked them, well, how much do you have? How much do you have? And their approach is, it doesn't matter, Jesus, how much we have. It's irrelevant how much we have. We don't have enough. And can I tell you, you and I do the same thing. There is a need. There is a big need. And Jesus sometimes asks us to step into it. And our answer is, well, there's not enough. And if Jesus says, well, how much do you have? Our answer is, it doesn't really matter. There's not enough. And that's not what Jesus is asking. Jesus is asking, how much do you have? And he's not taking this excuse. And I think that's really important because God's economy is different than our economy. And they come back. The other gospels say there's a boy who had... Two, small, two fish and five loaves. This little boy had two fish and five loaves. By, by the way, we talked about kids learning how to make money. This kid is brilliant. This kid knows the rules of economics right here. This kid's, think about this. Here's a little kid, right? And what does he do for a living? He sells fishes and loaves. Think about it. This kid's brilliant. He sees this crowd following Jesus. He's probably going, this is great. I'm going to make a killing today. Think about it. He loads up his fish. He loads up his loaves. He follows Jesus in the crowd. He's like, these fish, they're going for 50 shekels apiece today. These loaves of bread, that's pretty smart, right? He gets out supply and demand. He's on a hillside, thousands of people, there's no food to eat. This kid thinks he's going to sell his stuff and take the next three weeks off. This kid is like brilliant in the sales department. He takes his stuff, he follows this hungry crowd, he gets out there. And I don't know if Peter walked up to him and said, hey kid, cough it up. We need your stuff. I don't know what happened. Maybe he realized there's no such thing as a free lunch. I don't know what he learned at this point. Um, one gospel account says the kid ended up buying them. I don't know if they said, hey, kid, and I don't know how this actually played out in detail. But the point is, the kid gives these to Peter, gives these to the disciples, and they bring them to Jesus. Um, and, and I would say, if you look at this passage that shows up six times in scriptures with the provision of God, with the miraculous, with, the, with God breaking through in a way of provision that you and I cannot pull off on our own. And here's the thing, guys. We follow a supernatural God. And I believe God wants to do things in your life and in mine that are beyond what we can naturally pull off. Does anyone believe that in the room this morning? I hope you do. And if you don't, you need to start believing it because nothing's impossible with God. And if we go through our life with a belief in Jesus, but no belief that God can break out and do anything special, then we're missing the whole heart of scripture and we're missing the entire experience that the early church walked in. They believed God can do abundantly and immeasurably more than what they could ask or imagine. They believed that. And we need to believe that too. And this is where the multiplication started. This is where the provision of God started. It's the first point this morning, if you're a note taker, 
I'd encourage you to write this one down. The first point is always start, no matter what you need, no matter what you want, no matter what the provision is, always start by counting your blessings. Jesus is like, what do you have? Nothing. Find out. Well, all it is is this. Boom. Start there. Start by counting your blessings. You know, when you're in a place of need and you want something from God or you need something from God, uh, a lot of times we don't stop and count our blessings. We're just looking at our lack. Have you ever done that? I have. We're looking at our lack. We're looking at the problem. We're looking at the deficit. We're looking at the monumental elephant in the room of what the problem. We're not stopping and counting our blessings. And God's like, I want to show you how I operate, but, but, but I also want you to have an understanding of appreciation of what you do have before we go to any further step. This is important. The Bible says that when you and I encounter God, literally have an encounter with God, God is spirit, we encounter God spiritually. When we have an encounter with God, the Bible says we enter into God's courts, into his presence with thanksgiving and praise. Everybody say thanksgiving and praise. That's how we encounter God with thanksgiving. But sometimes we come with little like little children. We're either upset or we're mad or we need or we want. And the Bible's like, no, you come with thanksgiving. You come with thanksgiving and praise into the presence of God. And the first step starts in this story of God's multiplication. Again, it's in all six gospels because God's trying to get our attention. Uh, It starts with counting your blessings. What do you have? Not much. It's not my question. What do you have? Well, it wouldn't matter anyway, Jesus. It's not my question. What do you have? Hold on. They take an inventory. They come back. This is what we have. And I think you and I need to do the same. We need to start by counting our blessings. Amen? Um, and so uh, many don't do that. Many forget. Many, many um, don't do this. But I will tell you, when you count your blessings, it changes your entire perspective. When you have a need before God, instead of just focused on the need, you stop for a moment and you count your blessings and thank him for your this is This is a monumental. We go from complaining to appreciating. How many of you in the room have children? Okay. How many of you would rather help an appreciating child? How many don't want to help a complaining child? Okay. So, God's a say, he's a loving father. We can come, wah, 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 rah, rah, complain, complain, complain. And a lot of times we do. We just, we just got to understand. He's a loving God and we can approach him, but he's a sovereign and all-powerful God too. And we got to just check our heart when we come before uh, the living God. And appreciation and counting your blessings is a wonderful way to enter into um, the presence of God. This moves on in verse 17 and they follow up after counting their blessings and they say in verse 17 we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish they answered bring them bring them here to me Um, jesus says bring them here to me now we're talking about the god who can speak the universe into creation are we not yeah are are we are we are we not okay so then why does he need these bread and these fish He can do anything he wants. And you've heard people say this. God's sovereign. He can do what he wants, whenever he wants, right? How many would agree with that? God can do what he wants, when he wants, any way he wants, without us or with us or any way he wants because he's the sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, always-present God. Okay? That's a reality. However, in this passage of God's provision, the passage of God's multiplication in your life and in mine, he is showing us six times in Scripture, which we see more than any other miracle, this one right here, he is saying, find out, count your blessings, and bring them to me. Everybody say, bring them to me. Okay, here's our second point this morning, is God provides, but always asks us to participate. God does provide, 
but he asks us to participate. He wants us to engage in some way. Otherwise, Jesus would say, Apostles, sit down. Don't send them home. Hold on, I'll be right back. He didn't say that. He goes, no, you guys, I'm inviting you into the situation. Find out what you got. Count your blessings. Come back to me. And they bring them to Jesus. And I think that's an important thing because there are so many things in the Bible where God has done things, but he wants us to participate in what God is doing. He wants us to participate. Uh, He's always said, you think about the gospel being spread around the whole world. The heart of Jesus when he ascended to the Father is go ye therefore to the whole earth, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. I'll be with you always to the end of the earth. Go, go. God doesn't need us. He could have sent angels. But the Bible says he's not. He's sending us, empowered and full by the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture. You and I, filled with the Spirit, are the messengers, the one. He didn't have to do that, but he chose to do that. And and the Bible says, how will people ever know unless somebody goes and tells them? And we could say, well, God, you're sovereign. You know, you could do anything you want. Just send an angel. God says, I don't want to send an angel. I want to send you. I want to send me. And so God sends us, equips us, and empowers us. So he's always engaging his people in the work that he's doing. And, And that's what he's teaching the disciples right now, 101. Jesus is walking with them for three years. Pretty soon, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to go do what I did. Why? Because he's engaging his people in everything that he's doing. Does that make sense? He's engaging us, guys. That's that's the heart of God. So God provides, but he always asks us to participate. And if you have a need, you better be asking, what is your part in the participation? That's what I'm... First, count your blessings. The second step is, what is my part in this? Um, I had a friend who... um, Loves the Lord, great guy, um, serving God today. But I remember for a long time, he was just waiting for God to provide something for him. And he's got a lot of faith, and he was praying, and he just waited. And he honestly believed just that one day, just some way, his check was going to come in the mail. And I'm like, well, that's cool if you, I mean, if you believe that. I mean, maybe, you know, God can do that. God can do anything. I don't, I'm not making fun of it. Anything. I mean, God maybe can do it. But he, I don't know what reason he had behind that. It's not like something was supposed to come and he was waiting for it to come. He just, he believed God would do it just by faith. And he prayed and waited and prayed and waited and prayed and waited and a check never came. And I, I always, I was saying, but why do you think? Because I believe God is good. And I'm like, yeah, but like why? Like did he tell you or did he show you? I mean, no, I just, I just believe. And I'm like, all right, man, I just, you know, I don't know. I, I hope it does, you know. I pray something does, but a check never came. And, and I realized you know, God does his part, but my friend, he didn't, do, he didn't do any part. Does that make sense? God wants to engage us in his work. And uh, if God tells you wait on a check, well, then you wait on a check. But if God doesn't tell you to wait on a check, then I wouldn't wait on a check. Does that make sense? I mean, faith is enormous. Faith is, impo- is powerful. And the sovereignty of God when it meets our faith is the most beautiful dance that heaven can do with humanity. Amen? The, the, the sovereignty of God and his power and the faith of humanity aimed biblically, is a beautiful display. But God does his part and we do ours. So God provides but always asks us to participate. And how does he do it? He does it here by bringing what you have. That's what he says. Bring me what you have. Now I got to say something. This is a spiritual law and this is timeless. and And I need to tie it to this passage because when I think of not just this passage, I think what does the Bible say about God blessing and multiplying in the same context 
of us lacking God having blessing and God either pouring out blessing or God withholding blessing. This is the same context of Scripture. Right now, they, they, they want God to pour out the blessing. Right now, they do not want God to withhold a blessing. And uh, I believe that's the same in our life. In a spiritual law, uh, it's timeless. Um, this, this principle of God, this spiritual law, was before the law of Moses, before the law of Moses. Abraham operated in this realm, understood it very well, understood how he partners with God and God blesses. Uh, then it was during the law, all of Israel, and then the New Testament church also understood this principle, specifically the church of Philippians really understood this principle of how God can pour out blessing or not pour out blessing. And I'll just be honest with you, just because we're believers, it doesn't mean we get on, on uh, God has to bless us in every way. We, the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. We can have two Christians uh, sitting next to each other and one is going through the discipline of God and one is not. Amen? God knows who needs the discipline and not. God does. We, he loves us. We might be forgiven and have Jesus as Lord and we have heaven as a reality, but one is going through a discipline and one is not. We can have uh, two believers side by side and one God is pouring out a blessing and the other is not. Doesn't mean we don't have heaven and we're not saved. It just means God can pour out blessings his way and his economy. Would you guys agree with that? And we don't control it. But God does his part and we do ours. So I, I do want to share this because when we're talking about the economy of God, and the blessing of God, and the multiplication of God, and we talk about his part and our part, I just want to share this with you, and I, want, I encourage some of you to read this later on. I don't want to get into the whole passage, but this, power, this spiritual law is so powerful that if you miss it, uh, you're going to completely disconnect with this multiplication that, that God does, or the blessing that God does, and it's in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, you can read it later, but this is what God says. God starts out by telling Israel, he says, listen, I am the Lord and I don't change. Basically, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is out of God's mouth. He's saying, I am the Lord and I do not change in the context of this passage. And I think he's saying this because some might say, well, that's the way God was then, but he's not now. So have, you've heard people say that, right? That's the way God was then and he's not now. In God's breath, in this passage, he say, I am the Lord and I do not change. Everybody say, do not change. This is what God's saying in the passage, okay? And what he says in the passage, he says that, um, he says in this thing, he says, bring your, he says, bring your first fruits to me. First, for everyone say first fruits. First fruits. You got an orange tree in the backyard, the first fruits that come off it, you bring those to God and you eat all the rest. This is what the first fruits are. If you had chickens, you bring the first chickens. If you bring whatever it is, whatever your realm, whatever part of society or over, uh, over time and space, this was a principle of first fruits. And God says this, if you bring your first fruits to me, he says, watch what I will do. This is God saying that, watch what I will do. Um, and then here's, here's the dilemma, and I've seen this before, and I've talked to some others who see this, and I... I, I I would rather share this message as a, as a guest pastor in another church. I really would. Um, I have a hard time sharing this with you because um, it's just a challenge for me personally. I just want to be honest and vulnerable. This is hard for me to share this message with you, but I would rather go to other churches where I'll never see people again and just tell them this truth. I really would. I would love to, uh, and I have a hard time. And people have told me, why don't you talk about this? And I'm like, well, because it's a, a glitchy topic. And I've been told, well, it shouldn't be a glitchy topic. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I feel weird about it sometimes, and sometimes other people feel weird about it. 
And, and, and I was challenged, well, if people were, 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 they were trying to follow God, but they were off in this area of their life, would you tell them? And I'm like, well, yeah. Well, what about if they're trying to follow God and they're off in this area, would you tell them? Yeah. Well, then what about if people are trying to follow God and they're off in this area? And that's where I found myself, well, you're right, I probably shouldn't pull back. So I just want to tell you this, because some of you in the area of provision and God's blessing, um, you need to understand this. There's many who want God's provision, but they refuse to release the first fruits to God. There's many who want God's, the idea, the principle, the premise, and the prayer. I want your provision, but there is no way, God, no way am I giving you a first fruit. But you, you're God, you give me. And we're talking about God's economy, and I, I just want to share this out of just brutal honesty. This is what Scripture says. Um, that if you do, watch what I do. If you bring your first fruits to me, God says, in his words, the God who says, I'm the same and I don't change. He said, if you bring your first fruits to me, watch the blessing I will pour it out. And Israel wasn't bringing the first fruit. And God says, why are you not blessed? And they're like, I don't know, God, why are we not blessed? And in this same passage, Malachi 3 says, I love you, but you're not blessed because you're not bringing this first fruit. I only say that because God can multiply and do this, and this is what he's saying. Now, let's be fair. Getting back to the story. If you were the little boy in the story, and you were on the hill with the fishes and the loaves, and all these people there, and you knew you could sell them, you knew you could sell them and make some good money, and you had to give them over, how many would that be hard for? It'd be hard for me, any honesty? You, you got supply and demand. You got every ounce of food on the whole hill. And there's thousands of people. And all of a sudden, from an economic standpoint, you're bringing it forward and saying, here you go. Well, God's not asking us to do that. God's asking us to bring a first fruit. And God says, if you bring a first fruit, watch if I will, watch what I will do. I will bless you. Now, I will tell you this. The same passage in Malachi 3, I'd encourage you to read it later and see how the Lord speaks to you on it. But there's a biblical truth in here and it's a spiritual law and again I believe it's coming up in multiplication six times in the New Testament for a reason um, I have and, and God says this if you don't believe me God says test me God, God says test me it's the only time in the Bible that God does say to test him now I will tell you I've been personally testing God I've been personally testing God on this exact thing for over 25 years I'm not telling you something I don't do um, for the first c- couple years as a believer I'm like what what do you mean? That, that sounded weird to me. And then I realized, okay, it's, in, it's before the law, it was during the law, it's after the law, and it's really simply a matter of trust. If I say I'll put God first in my mind, in my heart, will I really do it with my finances? And I found out that I was one of those people saying, God bless me, but no way are you getting the first fruit. And I thought, well, why am I doing that? And I'm like, I'm doing it because I probably am not really, really trusting him, at least in the financial part. I'm trusting him with my eternity, I'm trusting him with my forgiveness. I'm trusting him with my salvation. I'm even trusting that he's going to lead me in some areas of my life. But I am not trusting him with my finances, quite honestly. And I realize, I think I need to, it says test him. All right, God, I'm going to test you. I'm stepping out into waters I've never been in. It sounds weird to me, uh, you know, but here goes. I've been testing God for over 25 years on this. And I'll just tell you, God is absolutely true to his word. God is, I've been testing God in this and I haven't skipped testing God in over 25 years. I'm just telling you something out of experience. Christy and I have been married for about 19 years, and Christy and I have been doing this as a married couple 
uh, for over 19 years, bringing the first fruits to the Lord. We, we, uh, we give our first fruits to God before we uh, pay for a mortgage or pay for an electricity bill. That's what we do. Um, if you try to do it on what's left over, it's not a first fruit, it's a last fruit. Everyone say last fruit. It's a, la- it's a leftover. Check with me later, God. I'll see what I got left over for you. That's what it is. And then what we realize is when we got, give God a first fruit, do you know what God can do with that 90%? God, listen, do you know what God can do with the 90%? God can do abundantly and immeasurably more with that 90%. Or you can try just keeping them and say, I, I don't need your blessing in this area. This, this is not a heaven or hell or forgiveness or salvation issue at all. But there are blessings and provisions that I know some of you in the room probably would like to have. And this is probably a struggle, and I'm sorry that it is, but I just got to share this with you because it's a biblical promise, it's a spiritual law, and it's, um, it's in Scripture, so we're, you know, we're talking about this. And the blessing, by the way, is not just money. The blessing can come in so many different ways. In this case here, it was food. It was provision through food. We can't equate the blessing of God just to money. People on TV have misappropriated that. Say, if you send in this, you're going to get this. How many have heard that? Garbage. That's not what's good. If you give this, you get that. You give that. No, it's like the Bible doesn't work that way. God will bless you if we put him first. And the reason we put him first is so we can share his love and multiply his kingdom. And that's the intention of God's economy. But the point is, how that blessing comes is up to God. It's God's blessing, not ours. It might come financially. It might come in some other provision. I don't really know. Uh, I will tell you personally about um, uh, five years ago, um, you know, God knows our needs. Our family of seven was living in a smaller house over here in uh, West Van Nuys. And uh, our son, Micah, who doesn't walk, uh, was ready to get his uh, power chair. And we had these steps and little doorways and we didn't have any place to park the thing. And we're like, all right, we're not complaining. We love the Lord, we're serving Him, but we're being content with what we have. We were completely content with what we have. And so in this situation, which was a little glitchy as far as people, space, and this mic is chair, we get a random call, suddenly. Everybody say suddenly. Man, when a suddenly comes, put your seatbelt on because God can drop a suddenly on you and turn things on a dime. Amen? And suddenly... Suddenly, we get this call, and this broker calls and says, hi, I'm calling you about my house, and we're like, well, we're not looking for a house. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I'm calling you back on it. We're like, nope, we never called you. He goes, yeah, you did, it's, and he says where it is, and I'm like, yeah, no, we didn't, bud, and I'm ready to hang up the phone, and he says where it is, and he said it's a large lot, you know, and I'm like, well, hey, Christy, you want to go drive by and at least look at it? I mean, it's a random phone call. So we go by, and, and it was a total fixer. But it was a dream come true to us. We're like, wow, this would be nothing less than a miracle if we were able to get this house. It'd be a miracle. And then we ask how much. And we're like, oh, why did we even waste our time coming here? Because the price, even as a fixer, was way beyond our means. And when we decided to pray, because we have faith, and we said, okay, God, we don't know why you brought us here. We don't even know how we got this call. We don't even know why we're looking at this house. But it would be a dream come true. And it would, it would be up to you to make it happen because we cannot pull this off. And this is where the provision of God comes in. There are many things in your life you can't pull off on your own, and I can't either. And this is where the provision of God does, comes in. We need God's help. We need God's provision. We need God's resources when and where he sees fit. We don't steer his hand. We don't control him. But there's areas I believe God wants to partner with us. And and this thing came up, and we thought, wow, it'd be a dream come true, but we are so far away price-wise. I mean, crazy far away. So Christy and I each prayed about a number, 
if we, would, if we were to write an offer in faith. Whenever you write an offer, it's in faith. It's in faith. So we prayed about a number. We were very close to the same number. So we end up writing this offer. The broker looked at us like we had three heads. <laughs> He's like, are you serious? Like, did you hear what the price is? Look, I know it's way off. We prayed about a number. That's all we can do. If they counteroffer even a little, we have to walk away. That's just where we're at. We're, we're leveraging the farm and the family. We're going up to here. And we put in the offer by faith and in prayer and say, God, you can move mountains if you want. If you want, God, open this door. And if you don't, we are satisfied with your provision because we got to be satisfied with where we're at. Sure enough, get a call on Monday and the broker says, I can't believe this, but you just bought yourself a house. And we were stunned and we were floored. And now our little guy, Micah, who has his power chair, can do donuts and drive all over the yard. And we have one little step to get into that house. One little step this big to get into that house. And I just look at the hand of God. Now, in our life, we're not perfect people, but were we aimed at serving Jesus and seeking first the kingdom? Yes. Have we been faithful over all the years with the Lord in this area? First, yes. Did he give us a house where he took almost $200,000 off the price and handed it to us? Yes. All I can tell you is he can do abundantly and immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Some of you have stories like that in your life. Some of you need stories like that in your life. And I hope you have stories of God's provision in your life where you can say, I couldn't pull it off, but God could. Those are good stories. When you say, I can't pull this off on my own. I'm not smart enough. I can't bankroll it. I can't put it together. I can't build a team. I can't do what it takes, but God can because nothing's impossible with God. I'm not talking about name it and claim it kind of faith. I'm talking about responsibly loving and following Jesus and believing what his word says and trusting that there are times where your father in heaven will provide for you rather than you making it all happen. And so that was a story for us where we found absolute glaring clear. And I have to testify this morning that the provisions of God are true, that his spiritual laws are true. This provision of first fruits is very blessable and, and everyone in the room needs to, every believer needs to decide whether I'm going to trust God with first fruits for his blessing or I'm going to say, I'm cool, bless me anyway, I'm not bringing you a first fruit, God. And that's the trust issue. And everyone's got to land on their own that way, but I would encourage you, that is really, really important. So this is what he does here in verse 19. He says this. It says, And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and broke the loaves, and then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them uh, to the people. Uh, so Jesus right here is showing us something really monumental, um, and it's to take what you do have and to give thanks for it. Um, if you think about this in reality, you've got thousands of people, seriously, Jesus, you're going to th give thanks for these little two pieces of sushi and a little bit of pita bread. He's got like two pieces of sushi and a little pita bread with 4,000 people, and that's counting the men and then the women and children, 5,000. Really, Jesus, you, is this, is it, are you going to be that thankful over this? And Jesus is like, absolutely, I'm going to be thankful over this. And there's something I, to remind you about giving thanks for what you do have is monumental in the economy of God. You can't skip this. And a lot of times we're not, guys. A lot of times I'm not. We need to be far more thankful. We need to have far more, much more gratitude than we currently have to function fully in the economy of God, I believe, in his, in his provision in this way. And that's our third point this morning, is let's learn to give thanks before we ask. 
Let's learn to give thanks before we ask, in that order. Because sometimes we're like little kids, we just start asking. That's okay. But let's learn to give thanks before we ask. When Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, they're like, all right, Lord, how do we pray? And he's like, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Praise and praise and praise and praise and thanks and praise. And Lord, uh, would you give us our daily bread, by the way? Do you see how that works? The praise, the praise, the thanks, and then the asking. That's how Jesus modeled prayer. Uh, that's what Jesus is doing, what was provided. First place we're going to start before multiplication, we're going to give thanks for, for what we have. And so when we do this, we focus on the goodness and the faithfulness of God instead of our lack. See, we can focus on our lack and we can worry or we can look at the faithfulness and goodness of God and that's what Jesus is showing them right here. Jesus looked to heaven to the God of multiplication and we should too. And listen to this, the one who multiplied the food, the one who multiplied the food did not give it out to the people. The one who multiplied the food did not give it out to the people. The one who multiplied the food, Jesus, gave it to the followers to give to the people. You guys see that? It's important. This is how the God of multiplication works. He can do anything. Why doesn't he just, I don't know why he doesn't just do it that way, but this is the way God does it. Here's the definition of ministry, and it's the best definition of ministry I ever heard. Ministry happens when God's resources flow through loving channels to meet a real human need for the glory of God. You see the full circle of that? God's resources flowing through loving channels to meet a real human need for the glory of God, where people point back to God and His glory for His goodness. But listen, it's divine resources through loving channels. And right now on this multiplication, Jesus takes this thing down and gives God thanks and the supernatural happens. And He doesn't say, hey, everybody, come over here to me and get your fish. He says, where's my sons and daughters, my followers? I want to distribute through you. I want to distribute my blessing through you. This is another enormous part. We, we don't even think about that when we think of God's multiplication. Did you know God wants to include you in what he's doing? I mean, he really wants to include you in what he's doing. How many would love to be the one, think about this, out of all the things you could do in the kingdom of God, you think of all the different roles you can have, all the different ways you can serve God. How many would love to be in the front of the line just handing out God's blessing to people. Oh, everyone in the room ought to have their hand up. Come on, everyone blessing, they want a blessing. Here you go, more blessing. Want more blessing? More people coming? And it's not from you, it's from God. And you don't get the glory, God does. But, but you get to give out the blessings of God. And that's what they're getting to do. This is epic, this is monumental, this is the funnest part of ministry, is to give out the blessings of God. Give out the resources of God. Give out the provisions of God. And that's what they're getting to do right here. That's what ministry is all about. So, so the fourth point this morning is aim to be a distributor. Aim to be a distributor of God's blessings. Aim to be a distributor. The disciples followed Jesus. They went really close. So when God multiplied, they were right there to distribute. Aim to be a distributor. Um, see, we're not creators of fruit, guys. We don't create fruit in our life. Fruit is an outflow of the Holy Spirit. It's a fruit of the what? Fruit of the Spirit. Fruits are fruits of the Spirit. Outflows, these spiritual displays. and things. We don't create them. We don't make them. We can't fabricate and we cannot manufacture fruit. We can only distribute things. And God is like, yes, just follow me, walk with me, trust me, and I want to do multiplications. I want you to give it away. 
And again, ministry happens when divine resources flow through loving channels to meet a real human need and it points right back to God getting the glory. They don't even have to see us, remember us, or know our name. That's irrelevant. We could be the whosoevers. We could be the what's that guy's name? What's her name? I don't know. I don't even remember. That's fine. Let them remember Jesus, but it was God's resources through loving channels to meet a human need for the glory of God. That is epic and, and that's the sweet spot. That's where you want to be is aim to be a distributor of uh, God's blessings. Uh, we don't want to cling to God's blessings. Uh, there's this mindset that's referred to, um, there's a term for it, it's, it's called an orphan mentality. And what an orphan mentality typically does is, is hoard things because you never know when you're going to get it again. Uh, there was an entire generation in our country uh, that started, uh, many in that generation, not all, uh, many in that generation had this orphan mindset and it was during the Great Depression. Uh, during the Great Depression, uh, provisions were so rare uh, there was no sugar and there was rationing going on. And because of that season of need that people grew up in, they grew up in a season of need and there wasn't abundance. But because of that time in their life for a year or two, whatever it might have been, it formed their mind, their heart, their psychology to say, I better get stuff and hold on to it. I better hold on to everything I can because I never know when I'm going to get it again. Uh, we've done uh, things with the Department of um, Children Family Services to uh, bless the foster teens, specifically the pregnant girls that were foster teens, some of them very young. And we've had them come to the church and give away strollers and give away just to bless them because they don't have parents. They don't have a mom or dad to help them in this difficult time. So as they're pregnant and having a child, we, we've given them strollers. And I got to tell you, everyone grabbing everything they could and shoving it in and you just look and, and, and you go, where does that come from? That comes from a, an idea, I never know when I'm going to get anything else again. How many of you know in the room we serve the God of multiplication? He's not just the God of addition. He's the God of multiplication. We can't live in this anxiety-ridden, but when am I ever going to get and cling on to the blessings? Listen, we're called to be ministers and distribute the blessings of God, not cling to them. Amen? We can't say, cool, thanks for the fish. He gave me all this fish and loaves and go off in a corner and you know, go sell it. It's like, God, you just downloaded all this stuff. You, it was a freebie. This is all you. Let me partner with you in the distribution. Does that make sense? But how we cling to or hoard or give away is really a heart condition. Aim to be a distributor, distributor of God's blessings. The last verse is this, guys, and this would be great if the worship team comes up. It says this, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Wow, thousands of people were fed in this encounter uh, with Jesus right here. And the disciples had a brand new appreciation on how God's economy works, on how God involves us, on we do our part and God does his part. And, and believe me, this probably rocked their world. And if, and if it, they didn't understand it yet, they're about to see a multiplication of 4,000 coming up in Matthew and again, this comes up again and again in the other Gospels. Jesus is like, I want you to get it. I want us to understand. Um, the other Gospels add one last thing, guys. They add, uh, Jesus said, after all this multiplication and all this food, Jesus says, let nothing be wasted. Would you repeat that? Let nothing be wasted. And you're thinking, Jesus, at the snap of a finger, you can multiply and feed thousands upon thousands. Why do you care about what's left over? And Jesus is saying, I care about what's left over. It's a very random scripture. Let nothing be wasted. Like, 
what does it matter? You fed the crowd, we get the miracle, you are the God of multiplication, you, you, you stretched our faith, we get it, let's move on. No, let nothing be wasted and pick up what's left over, 12 baskets for the 12 apostles, which also represent the 12 tribes of Israel. God is the God of, of multiplication. And um, the, the last thing is, is this, guys, is um, this whole crowd... I believe they followed Jesus out on that hill by faith. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know for sure if they were going to get their healing. They didn't know for sure. what. They just, he's the way. He's the truth. Let's follow. I don't know where he's going. Let's keep following him. Let's carry whoever we have with us because he's the way, the truth, and the lie. I don't know. Let's just keep going. And they, they keep going and going, and they find out where Jesus stops up on a hillside on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where they, they go with him. They, they went out there by faith. And and when they did, God provided for them. And this is the last point this morning, and I believe it's true in all of our lives. Uh, Chuck Smith, Pastor Chuck Smith coined this one, and it lives on today. Is, uh, fifth point is where, where God provides, where God guides, God provides. If God guides you somewhere, he's going to provide you. Uh, and if God's not providing, sometimes we've got to understand, did God lead me here? Did he guide me here? Or did I just go off on my own little tangent right here? I went out on a limb somewhere on my own without consulting with God. Israel did this many times. They consulted with God and he provided magnificently. Other times they went out on a limb, never even checked in with God, never even consulted God. And they found themselves a little overextended. God's like, you never even asked me. I didn't guide you here. And you wonder how come you're out on a limb. I didn't bring you here. Consult me first. And so where God guides, God does provide. Um, the last scripture I just want to share in the New Testament of the church who understand this very, very well. Philippians chapter 4, um, verse 9. You, you've heard this verse before, but I just want to share the context to the Philippian church. Paul is writing to Philippians. The Philippian church modeled this first fruits kind of generosity. You can read what Paul writes to them in the very context to this verse. But he's like, guys, thank you for putting God first and thank you for being faithful uh, with first fruits, and he has his way of explaining that to them because they supported him in the mission and the spreading of the gospel and making Jesus famous and in the land of Philippi and beyond. And, and, and he turns around and says to them, and now, Philippians, and now that you express generosity, he said, and now my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And I know we like that scripture and we all want to use that scripture, and I, I hope we all can, but I, I, w I just want to say the context was Philippians Thank you for continuing the work of God. Thank you for putting him first. Thank you for your mission support. And in response to that, he says, and now Philippians, in response to your gratitude and generosity, my God's going to supply all of your needs. And I only say that because, um, again, oftentimes we want the blessing of God without our engagement and interaction. And, and my prayer today is, uh, you know, is that we take to heart God's economy, his part and our part, that we understand we serve the God of multiplication. And there's things in your life that are beyond your need. They're beyond your capacity. You're, there's, there's, there's roads to cross and bridges to cross ahead of you that are beyond what you can pull off. And we need to walk with God in his economy, in his realm. And we need to consult him before we, we chart certain courses. And we need to say, God, if this is you, I'm going to trust you in it. But we want to engage the sovereignty of God in our faith and, and I, I think when we see the multiplication passage come up again and again, he's like, what do you have? Bring what you have. Work with me. Let me do what I do when you do what you do. And after you do that, I want you to be part of the distribution as well. 
and we get to see the glorious picture of God. So I, on that note, guys, I want to close in prayer, ask God to seal some of these things in our heart that we would have a, deep, a better and a deeper understanding of, of how God wants to engage us in a deeper way. So mighty God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of it. Uh, I know this message, sometimes it sounds exciting that you multiply and you do miracles. That part sounds really cool. Uh, but the other part where, what? What do we got to do? I don't know about that. And, and Lord, there's some that have struggles in this area and maybe shut down. So Lord, I just pray it's you. I don't want to um, bring any guilt or shame or condemnation in any way, but your Holy Spirit convicts us of what is sin and what is righteous. Your Spirit is the one who shows us what is a thumbs up and what is a thumbs down. Your Spirit is the one who shows that, and your Word shows us that. So I just pray you show all of us in the room, Lord, how we can partner with you and engage you in the fullness of what you want to do in our life. Just like those little kids, I talked about uh, young kids wanting certain things and provisions and certain supplies and certain resources, God. As we get older, we have certain needs and, and supplies and resources that we need, God. And so I just pray, Lord, as we come before you, we would take in mind and take to heart um, what you showed thousands on a hill, what you showed the disciples, what we see six times in the Gospels, this passage of engaging God, but do it his way. Let God multiply, because we can't. We can work on addition, but you could work on multiplication, God. And I just pray that you would do abundantly and immeasurably more than what we could ask or imagine. Show us our part in your economy, in your kingdom, in your blessing. We thank you for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Amen, guys. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.